Welcome to episode 308. Today we're talking about Jim Davis and Michael Graham's book, The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? There may be more hope than you think. That's today on The Reclaim Leader. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 308 of The Reclaim Leader. I'm Jason Tucker, back again with Jesse Skivington. Jesse, Oregon and Washington coming up. Come on, let's go. Yeah, Yeah, I'm a big fan. I was telling Jason before we hit record, uh, you know, you were talking about going down to JMU and seeing your daughter and going to a college game. And uh, I'm taking my daughter, Addie, who's in eighth grade, to watch the Oregon-Washington game. And uh, she's ready. She's got her gear. We've raised her up right. She's she's ready to root hard for the Huskies, but even harder against the Ducks, which can be more <laughs> Hopefully, don't we, we don't have too many uh, Oregon Ducks fans who are listening. But you know, I know if you're a Duck fan, I'm sorry that you have to go through life that way. But you know, <laughs> Jesus loves you anyway. You know, just one of those things. You know, spending time on a college campus, you it it's very clear pretty quickly. Just how different life is. You forget when you were in college and everything. And and I know that we all have a lot of high hopes that our college students are going to go and they're going to go get involved in churches and they're, or they're going to get involved with Christian groups. But even, you know, my own daughter, pastor's kid is she, her class schedules conflict with really the major uh, worshiping group on campus and their the weekly worship time. So she can't go. And it just made me think of some of the things we're going to talk about today when we're talking about uh, the de-churching of America. There's been a lot of things talked about that. And Jesse sent me an email. What was that? A couple of weeks ago about this yep. article that had a minute. And of course, in true Reclaim Leader fashion, <laughs> we, as we're getting ready to do this episode, this this week, uh, the great Carrie Newhoff uh, released a podcast episode on the exact same theme with an actual interview with the author of the study, <laughs> That's and right. uh, the de-churching of America. So we don't have the author. We have We've got the next best the thing. Author. We've got a very short summarized article from the author of the study, which is. <laughs> so clearly ours is going to be much better. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it was really funny. I like the irony of it, but in some ways it was like, no, this is, this is an important conversation. And, uh, and that we need to have together because actually, as I, I read through uh, the article that points towards the book, which kind of chronicles the larger study they, they did about de-churching in America, it actually, uh, I kind of said, yeah, that, that, that tracks with my experience. And there was also a few things that are out there in the conversation that it sort of uh, pushed back against that were reassuring to me as well. So I just, I, I want, we want to share this. And of course, um, you know, if you're going to want to go listen to the actual source of the actual information, go <laughs> Carrie Newhoff's uh, podcast, but we're going to dive into it and talk shop around it and just kind of think about in terms of our own experiences. And maybe you can think about it in the context of your own church. If, if you're a pastor or leader there, how are you seeing this show up and uh, what can you do with the information that came out of this uh, really robust study that asked questions of people who are have de-churched over the last uh, decades here. So uh, yeah, and it's, it's fascinating to me because as we start to unpack this and pastors, you'll see, you're going to really resonate. It's not that anything's necessarily a surprise, but, but still some, some of the reasons people are leaving are maybe more surprising than we think. I, right. I don't know if it's, 
so as a pastor, I'm just thinking about the pandemic when we all saw kind of like the biggest de-churching happen, when folks who had kind of one foot in, one foot out of the church really were gone for the better part of the last three years. And and in our case, we've seen some come back just now. Yeah. And, yeah. but not all of them. Nope. Yeah. And you sort of wonder like what happened? Like, uh, whatever it was, we just must not be compelling enough. And maybe there's even a little part of you that has a little teeny bit of resentment. Like, well, what, why, why did they not come back? You know? And I think I know that folks in the church have a little bit of resentment. I mean, not a lot, but it just sort of comes up in conversation. Yeah. Whatever happened to that guy? He was coming here where like, Oh, whatever happened to that family or whatever. And, but there's a little tinge of what's their problem. You know, what was the problem with the church? And right. what happened? So anyway, I think this is a really good topic and yeah. I think it'll be a, a pleasant surprise in a lot of areas. Yeah. So we point you to the book, The Great Dechurching uh, just came out. You can find it anywhere. And uh, and this is sort of an article that summarizes some of the high points. So if you're like me, you're more of a Cliff Notes guy. Uh, this is this is your uh, this is going to be for you. This so, is your podcast. This right is here. your podcast. Here you go. So Jim Davis, Michael Graham, they're pastors and uh, related to the Keller world. So the Keller Center and the Gospel Coalition, that kind of stuff. And they they noticed the de-churching and they were wondering about it in their own city and context. And so they commissioned a large study related to it, and it yielded a bunch of results that now make up the content of, of the study and of their book. And uh, But what I liked as they were looking at this, they they came across some what they considered to be some misconceptions uh, that we have about the reasons for this great de-churching that they wanted to speak to, or at least let us know about, so that at least we know the problem or the challenge we're facing and might shape our strategy around that. So I think let's just walk through the misconceptions and uh, maybe talk about uh, the, the actual realities and maybe some things that we might think about related to our own our own ministries and, and how we can uh, meet this moment. So misconception number one, Jason, they said, was uh, that uh, people leave primarily because of negative experiences with the church. They said that's the number one misconception that we hear about church hurt and bad experiences. And there certainly is plenty of that to go around. So they're not wanting to diminish that or to somehow uh, pretend like that that's not true. I mean, they, they acknowledge the hurt and pain that has come through bad behavior in the church, but that is not the number one reason why people have de-churched. Uh, and we kind of go to that and we think, well, something bad happened in the church. And so they moved on uh, from the church. And uh, they said, are you ready for the number one reason people stopped attending church? The answer, the reality, they moved. Something changed in their life, just in the practical sense of their life that disrupted their habit or discipline of coming to church. And they never brought it back, right? never circled back around, or at least hasn't yet. So these pedestrian things that they said, like moving or kids sports or family changes, marriage, divorce, having kids, that kind of stuff. Those are just these ordinary everyday things that disrupted church attendance that then became the pattern that they followed. And now they're de-churched. So, I mean, it's just, you kind of go, oh, so maybe it's, maybe it wasn't that sermon that I thought offended so many people <laughs> after all, right? Or whatever. Maybe it's not as personal as I had maybe it's not it to as be personal. in my head. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just this practical thing. And you kind of alluded to it with the whole pandemic. I mean, it was so disruptive. People just 
stopped coming. Maybe they watched online for a while and then stopped doing that. On, and then eventually the, the habit or church as a part of their life just isn't there. Uh, so, I mean, that, that, that's one thing that they noticed was that, wow, actually three quarters of these people just moved on for kind of ordinary everyday reasons. That's so interesting, right? So uh, this happened to me recently. There, there was a, a guy who had been coming to church pretty regularly for a few years, and then I didn't see him for a few months. This was just in the last year, and I'm like, yep. I, I saw him around town. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually when you see someone <laughs> around town when you're a pastor and they haven't been to church, yeah, either they're kind of ducking you or they're going to give you a big excuse, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I saw him, and I wasn't even going to make it awkward for him, so I just kind of pretended not to see him. And he's like, oh, hey, pastor. And he's stuck up a conversation. Like, hey, what's going on, man? And we had a good like catch up or whatever, about five minutes in the grocery aisle. And I'm just like, all right, man. Hey, um, I, I haven't seen you forever, man. Like, what's going on? How's it? He goes, oh, I live in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I, I moved to North Carolina a couple of months ago. He's like, I'm back up visiting my mom. I'm like, oh. Well, it's great to see it. Right. So I had sort of in my head, like, oh, this guy, what happened to him? Did he get mad? And it doesn't mean I shouldn't follow up and be like, hey, how you doing? But it's just sort of funny that this this definitely played out. Had nothing to do with you or or anything. He just moved. And I think the challenge what we hear from people from our congregation that I know have moved other places. I talk to them. They're like, we we haven't found a church yet. Yeah. Or we haven't gotten to ro- around to finding a church yet, sometimes is what they say. And so I think sometimes relocating, even something as simple as moving to a new place, the energy and effort it takes to find a new community to belong to and invest in and, and get to know, it's kind of hard work, right? It's not yeah. always the easiest thing. And so some people just don't do it. We've had a, we had a, a couple of families who moved to another town near us about 30 to 40 minutes away. And they look for churches, didn't find any that they really connected with. And now they commute back to Marine View because they struggle to find another, a new church to belong to. And that's not to throw stones at other churches out there. I think it's just, it's when you have a sense of connection and belonging in one community, and now you got to go recreate that. It's kind of a hard thing to do. So just practically speaking. Uh, and then we see the seasons of life stuff all the time with people. Their kids are younger. They bring them for Sunday school. But then once the kid has a driver's license and can come and go themselves, like, where did they go? Yeah. What happened to them? Or maybe they come at Christmas and Easter and they used to come uh, on a regular basis. So uh, this rings true with me. And I think uh, just reminds us that it may not even be something that we did or didn't do just their life circumstance. Yeah. It doesn't make it good but maybe it changes the conversation a little bit when we bump into somebody. No, that's good. And I think that's just a helpful reminder that just because people have either stopped coming or, or they're not coming as often doesn't mean that they had some sort of wound from the church. Now, I mean, they might, so it's good to like check up, but at the same time, there are still a lot of people who do, but it's just not the predominant, but it's not the majority, not even close. So that's really interesting and exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, the second misconception uh, I thought was uh, interesting because it's one that I have kind of held and I find to be anecdotally true at times, but apparently not statistically true, uh, according to the research. Misconception number two is that young people are leaving the church after attending secular universities. We've heard that narrative many times, right? You, for you years, grow up for with decades. a childlike faith, you go off to college and you lose your faith. Because the New Testament professor said, well, are you sure this was, you know, 
written by, you know, the eyewitnesses or whatever. This came from Q. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever they said. Right. And it blew up your faith. But they said this is actually a misconception and that uh, as they're looking at the data, the demographic that is dechurching the most is 18 to 30 year olds, but not from those who have higher uh, education levels or uh, who maybe have a higher socioeconomic status. Those people are not leaving the church nearly as often as uh, 18 to 30-year-olds 30, 30 that are part of the lower or lower middle classes with less education. So they're, the higher education, actually, the more likely you were to stick with church in your 18 to 30-year-old years, uh, which is kind of upside down from what the I think the going narrative has been. Yeah, and I'll just be honest, it's upside down from what I from the misconception I currently have. Right. Yeah. So, so that's really interesting. And the only reason I, I would have that misconception is, is because I'm thinking about global Christianity. Right. And, and the poverty that many countries are in and many Christians are in. And so right. I just automatically associate yeah. poverty with a greater desire to attend right. worship and even so a more vibrant faith because you're like really that. depending yeah. on God. And, and I wonder, that may be true globally here. This is, you know. Yeah, but not in America. Country. Yeah. But it makes sense. Actually, um, they they link it back to that first misconception about just the practical changes that happen that derail our participation in the church. Because if you think about it, if you have a higher education and, and you're more you know economically sort of situated where you have more security, that a change in jobs moving or something being disrupted in your life is not going to rock your world quite as much as someone who doesn't have that same safety net or that that um, kind of backdrop. And so um, they said it seems logical that life changes that correspond with dechurching, like moving or changing life circumstances, uh, may be especially difficult for those without an economic cushion or an upwardly mobile social network that might, higher education might provide. So it's yeah. going to be more disruptive disproportionately for those who are maybe uh, not as highly educated or don't have that socioeconomic um, sort of means to navigate some of the the challenges that come. So that was their conclusion. They're like, yeah, yes, 30 year olds are leaving, but it tends to be from lower and lower middle class uh, uh, than it is the higher educated. So I guess the New Testament professors aren't having the impact that we thought. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. But it does remind us, you know, how are we doing at reaching out to people across the socioeconomic sort of strata? Are we thinking in terms of 18 to 30 year olds that don't go off to college who need community and a place of belonging, especially, you know, I'm speak for our context, Presbyterian churches, we tend to have people that have gone to college or different things like that. And what are we doing to, to serve uh, people who choose a different path or maybe don't have those opportunities available to them? And uh, if that's where the crisis of de-churching is most present, seems like we want to take a look at that and lean into opportunities there. It also makes me think that that perhaps our expression of church just simply doesn't relate to them. Ah. And what do, what do we do about it? Yeah. And I, yeah. Don't, I don't have an answer, but I, I suspect. I, I think it's a, good, that, it's a valid point. We had a, a memorial service the other day for someone and a uh, bunch of people showed up in that were very clearly, you know, blue collar guys with their work clothes. And, you know, just I'm like, if they showed up on Sunday, we're a very casual, very warm, welcoming kind of community. I just don't, I don't know. I don't know if we speak that same language and be yeah. able to meet them where they are. And so hopefully there are churches and out there that are doing that, or maybe there's ways that we need to think about 
how, who are we as a community? Are we really creating a, a place for people to belong across that whole spectrum there? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's uh, misconception number two. Uh, the New Testament professors are not doing as much damage as we thought they were. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Words. Yeah, there you go. Uh, misconception number three. People leave the church because they left the faith. Uh, sort of a crisis of faith or something like that. Uh, and they found that to be just not the case. Uh, that people who have de-churched uh, had even some in some cases or many cases a more orthodox understanding of Christianity and belief than those who had stayed behind and stayed in the church. So wasn't so much a crisis of belief, but from their perspective, one of the conclusions that they were coming to was that perhaps instead it was a crisis of belonging. Yeah. Uh, who am I here? Do I have a place here? Do I belong here? Um, maybe there's something of the, I can live my faith on my own. I don't need the church. Um, some of those kinds of things. Uh, and I think that's where they're trying to wrestle out. What are the implications of that? Because certainly beliefs and behaviors have shifted over the last couple of decades, but it seems that belonging is more of an issue than belief for millions of folks that have de-churched over the last couple of decades. So, you know, how do we navigate that? How do we think about uh, the church as a place of belonging again, and not just where we believe certain things and act certain ways. This one really rings true to me, uh, just anecdotally, just seeing this everywhere. Like one of the things that I hear from a lot of Christians is they're not going to church. And there's a lot of different reasons they give, but I think one of the most common things that I hear is something to do with the church just isn't doing whatever it is they want enough. Yeah. Pastors not talking about this enough. Uh, there's too much compromise in the church. The church isn't uh, mm. doing enough local missions. The church isn't doing enough, enough, enough. And and there's a very like critical spirit of actually really Orthodox Christians about the state of the institutional church. Yeah. And I'm sure in many cases it's deserved. But they feel like it's too much of a bureaucracy to actually do meaningful Jesus following through that church. Now, it's a little bit of a uh, maybe it's kind of a broken ecclesiology there to to turn into that. But broken or not, it is what it is. But that's something I hear a lot from people. Yeah, I'm not going to church because church uh, they're disillusioned with church. Sure. And, yeah, and that doesn't, you know, there's something there. And I think you guys do a good job with your groups and the men's groups and small groups and things. People are looking for friendships. They're looking for yeah. community and belonging. And what are we doing, if anything, to facilitate that? And I think sometimes in some ways, um, I think some mid-sized churches, smaller congregations, there's an opportunity here that might not be available to sort of the mega church world where people are more anonymous and less known by necessity. I mean, you got 2000 people, you're not going to know everybody by name and that kind of thing. So there might be an opportunity here for, for smaller congregations or mid-sized congregations to do uh, the kinds of things where people are known and feel like they're accepted and belong and and help with that need. So anyway, yeah, I think this one, I don't know if this was a misconception as much as a, a good reminder that, Belief and belonging, they go together. Sometimes people need to belong before they believe, but people will still need belonging as they live out their faith. 
Well, you know, we've seen this in youth ministry for decades that yeah. belonging comes before believing. So this does not surprise me that that generation that's grown up, it still feels that way. Yeah. So is this a place where I can come meet people that I can be friends with and feel a sense of connection to and with and uh, all that goes goes a long way. So we got that piece. That's number three. It's not that people left the faith. They've left the church over, perhaps around a sense of, of loss of belonging. Uh, and they've gotten out of the habit. Now they're struggling to kind of re-engage and, and find belonging. So misconception number four, the people leaving are primarily on the secular left. All this is an numbers. interesting one to me. Right. Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. And these guys conclude that uh, the people leaving in the 80s and 90s were more in that camp. And But they claim in 2023, evangelicals are de-churching at almost twice the pace on the right political flank than they are on the left political flank. And then they admit that might be because there's not a whole bunch of people on the secular left who are still in the church. So maybe that's part of the reason why. But they really are actually are pointing beyond to a reality that I think you and I, we went, yeah, that, that seems right. That uh, right-wing politics has supplanted church from a belonging standpoint for a, a lot of folks. Yeah. Uh, that's a strong statement. I hope I'm not offending anybody out there. But that people, a, a political persuasion, left or right, can create a sense of belonging that the church maybe isn't meeting uh, and and becomes a, a new place of belonging for them. So um, uh, one of their conclusions was people who find meaningful community in political spaces have lower motivation to keep going to church. That was one of their conclusions. So yeah. if you're finding your primary sense of belonging and meaning in those circles, you're probably less likely to want to come and find that in church and you, you might not seek it out anymore. Well, and I think also because in a lot of mainline churches, at least the, church has not been the prophetic voice that they would like it to be hmm. and are finding that voice in, in politics instead. Sure. You know, right, wrong, whatever. Yep. But it's almost the same thing that happened on the other side of the aisle decades before. It's just happening now. It's like the church isn't championing the things that I feel strongly about Right. That, that I feel convicted about, even with my own personal faith. And so I get more out of this belonging, again, belonging yeah. in the political realm than I do at church. Well, and there's that, a that's whole, some of it, but I'm sure this is a whole nother conversation. I think actually yeah. it would be interesting to revisit this uh, again under kind of a different lens about how do we get to those places. And uh, Peter Berger and others have done some really interesting sociological work on how is it that people are uh, finding things plausible that they didn't find plausible before and how mm -hmm. people are shifting the ground under them sort of shifting. And this, so maybe that's a whole nother conversation for what is making the people in our, our chairs or pews or who have de church, what makes them tick and what's caused some of the, the, the changes in their, their thinking. Um, but yeah, so the people leaving are primarily on the secular left. They found actually it's more from the political right. And at least in this current uh, de churching, a moment. So that was number four. Number five, the misconception is that de-church people aren't willing to come back. Misconception. They aren't willing yeah. to come back. And I love what they wrote here. I'll just read it. The single best piece of good news to come from our study is that more than half of those who have left evangelical churches or Christ-centered churches, I would call that, or something like that. Uh, those who have left evangelical churches, more than half are willing to come back right now. 
So half the people who have moved on are like, yeah, I just got out of the habit. I'd come back. And so that's good news. <laughs> you know, it's not like Absolutely. they cemented around this uh, de-churched life. It means half the people aren't going to, aren't willing to come back, but half might. Yeah. And what are we going to do about it? So I think that's an, an important thing for us to look at. And some of the things that they noted uh, as they were uh, drilling down on the reasons people gave for why they would come back. And they said there was a whole variety of reasons, but they kind of distilled out, distilled out into two areas. Uh, they were looking for healthy relationships and a local church that acted, actively demonstrates how the gospel is true, good, and beautiful. So be a healthy community of people that aren't a circus and toxic and practice what you preach. Show God's love in real ways in your community life together and in the community that surrounds you. And I go, Oh, isn't that, isn't that what we're called to be as a church? Right. I mean, right. So good news. We, we can do that, but sometimes we, as leaders, we allow unhealthy things to, to be true about our, the way that we relate to each other in the church and they aren't addressed and we don't have a healthy environment or culture for people to come to. And so they, they don't want to be there or we, we talk a big game, but we don't actually, do anything to to kind of move uh, things forward in in loving and serving way to our, toward our community. So, um, yeah, I was reassured by that. People are yeah. are willing to come back, half of them. And if you're a, have healthy relationships and you're trying to live what you claim to believe and show the gospel to be true, good, and beautiful, people people will come back for those things. Yeah, I, I find that super encouraging. And just a reminder that there's so much going on in people's lives that we just we just don't understand the impacts because we're in the church, right? We are both feed in. It's what we do for a living. It's all we're thinking about. And to remember that that in people's lives and the scope of their lives, that's just it's just church doesn't get that kind of life attention for most of them. And they're trying to figure out everything. And not coming to church just may be a byproduct of something else going on in their lives. That's a really helpful reminder. And the reason is so we can teach our leadership and our congregation to approach people with grace, understanding, hey, uh, not you know, not sure why they they didn't come back, but let's pray for them. Let's let's keep reaching out. Let's keep them on the invite list, right? Let's let's think of them as we continue to go forward, not just sort of write them off. Right. I think that's so good. I remember um, when I first started a long time back. Now, when people would leave the church or not come anymore. Um, some of our folks were saying, we need to go do an exit interview with them to understand why they left. And I think there were two reasons for that. One, maybe we could change their mind by changing the thing that caused them to leave, or we could understand uh, why they left and try to fix it for other people later. And um, I always found that kind of thinking to be a waste of energy. Why would we go do that? And I think what happens if you pursue it from that angle is you're going to cement people, their reasons for why they left. They're going to have to come up with a good excuse and then stick by it. But if instead you say, we miss you, uh, you should come to this thing. It's going to be so much fun. It's it, we had a, uh, last year we had our celebrate 100 and we, we used it as a homecoming to invite people that we hadn't seen in a while. Come hang out with us again. We're going to celebrate together. And we can, we'd love for you to be there. We didn't ask why they weren't coming anymore. We didn't guilt trip anybody. So I think it's just, don't assume that people left because they're mad or disappointed or something bad happened. 
maybe they just got out of the habit, Jason, and they just need somebody to say, hey, we'd love yeah. to see you again. Come on back. So, you know, to me, I just kind of go, damn, that's, that's reassuring, right? It, you know, people might have left for all kinds of different reasons. Maybe it's just practical life circumstances. And so when we see them, instead of trying to sort out and get to the root cause and, and maybe change the way we do things in order to accommodate them or something, we go, hey, we'd love to see you. Where, where you been? Oh, can't wait to see you. Come on back. We're doing this thing. We'd love to do that with you. So to me, that gives us an opportunity just to be inviting again even to people that maybe have gotten out of the habit or something has changed in their life that disrupted their, their participation in the church for a while. And they might need that inroad back. And it might be someone just reaching out and saying, Hey, love to see you come hang out with us again. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember you. Let's do that. So I don't know. I I read this, this study and I, I I'm looking forward to getting my hands on the book. I haven't read through it yet. And just kind of drilling down a little bit more on some of these things, but uh, for these guys, this, these were sort of some of the things that came to the surface, that there's a narrative out there about why people leave church. It's, you know, because they lost their faith in college or they had church hurt or they're, you know, whatever the thing. And they're, they're trying to help us see the real situation from a statistical sort of evidence-based approach that then gives us a way to consider some possible solutions. And what we might do. And so I I just really appreciated kind of the the concluding remarks, uh, their prayer for us is that we pray that the casually de-churched will find healthy local churches with people who genuinely love Jesus, one another and their community. And I go, okay, well, that's something that we can do for. So uh, anyway, glad to share all that with you, Jason. And uh, of course, probably would have been awesome to have Jim Davis (laughs) here in person, but hey, we're grateful for their good work. And if you guys are listening somehow, thank you for, thank you for putting this study together yeah. think about this uh, challenge that we're all facing. Yeah. So the book is called The Great De-Churching, Who's Leaving? Why Are They Going? And What Will It Take to Bring Them Back? So yeah. uh, hopefully everyone grabs a copy of that and it's a good read. And uh, for us, Jesse, as we uh, get ready to close, sign off on another episode, uh, any final parting thoughts here? No, man, I just keep up the good work. Keep hanging in there. Uh, you know, what you're doing makes a difference. And uh, I hope you know that. I hope you feel encouraged uh, to keep keep going forward. I, uh, getting ready for a Presbyterian gathering and I'm going to do some leadership there. And I just I, I was struck by the verse in Hebrews, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage each other as you see the day approaching. So keep going. You got this. God is with you. Um, God is good and uh, he's not going to let us go. So hang in there. Awesome. Well, that'll preach, Jesse. All right, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening. And again, as we always say, ministry is hard. It is so much better when we do it together. Take care, everyone.